We are going to continue our walk through the book of Hebrews, which I had planned to have done by Easter, which it won't. Uh, so we'll keep going through that in the summer and uh, praying through and seeing if we're not headed to Micah, but that's up to God. So we'll see when we get there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the table over there. Uh, I am arriving from Bellingham, Washington this morning at 6 a.m. My wife's uh, grandma got hurt this weekend, had to rush up on Friday, uh, and so preaching right out of uh, real life, um, as we always are, for that matter. Um, but anyways, we'll pray. You can pray for yourselves. You can pray for me. You can pray for each other uh, that we would hear from God this morning as we pray. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day. Lord, we come from a broken world. We are in a broken world, and, and yet you're doing things, Jesus, because you are the king. Your grace and your mercy is manifest. You have not just saved us from our sin so we can feel sorry about it for the rest of our life. You've saved us from death to life that we would live our lives enjoying you, glorifying you, uh, uh, rejoicing in what you've done. And, and as we consider the fact that you, God, yourself, humbled yourself and rode in on a donkey to die in our place to give us life. May we rejoice in the way that you're sanctifying us, changing us, making us more like yourself, drawing us closer to you. And I pray that as we approach a hard topic today in Hebrews, Lord, that we would find massive encouragement from the reality of your cross and the reality of your resurrection and that we are yours and you are ours and you will not let us go. And you're God. And you love us. And the hairs on our heads are counted and we rejoice in that, not so that we would feel important, because we know how important you are, and how glorious and wonderful you are, and how gracious and merciful you are, Jesus. So we pray these things in your holy name, Jesus Christ, amen. All right, we'll be in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, we approach, as I said last week, we're kind of coming into a more applicational section, for lack of a better word. There are more imperatives in this section. We're all the way in chapter 12, and the author of Hebrews, wanting our hearts and lives to change, has not simply showed up and said, do this, don't do this, change this, do this. He started from beginning to end, this is who Jesus is. Hebrews 1 starts, at many times, in many ways, God spoke, but in these last days, he's spoken to us through his Son. His aim in our life for us to change is not to tell us what to do, but to show us who Jesus is and then help us understand how to respond to him and who he is and how we would enjoy him more. Uh, and last week we began to talk about that in the top of 12 uh, as we began to talk about this great cloud of witness and in this life we live responding to and following Jesus ultimately because he is the one that had the idea of the gospel to save us from ourselves. He is the one who brings it to an end and he is the one who's working in our lives to make it happen as we go. That is the good news of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus. It's not love Jesus and be successful. It's not love Jesus and be healthy and wealthy. Uh, it's not love Jesus and there will be no more pain and no more sorrow here on planet earth. I I'll tell you what, he is going to come and he is going to wipe every tear from every eye. And we live lives in him completely clean, completely washed, and completely new. And yet he is sanctifying us and changing us. And so the question is, in this life, what does Jesus do with the junk in our life? Because there's a lot of junk in our lives. There's junk we make. I'm responsible for stuff. There's stuff out here in the world, out here I guess, because we don't want to think of, we came in here and we're not out there. We're in here, which is out there, and out there is in here. If you know what I mean. I don't know if you're following there. So there's junk in the world. There's hard, I mean, grandma got hurt this week, right? 
What does Jesus do with this stuff? Grandma loves Jesus. What's what's God doing in her life with this stuff? How do we deal with the tears that are not yet wiped from our eyes? What is God doing in all of that stuff? And I think it's also important as we begin to talk about a topic like this. We forget it's not just the junk, right? I know how to do all things. I know how to be brought high and brought low. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The things, the abundance, the plenty, the joy. It's sunny outside. It is nice. I've already talked to people who are going to go barbecue. Like, it's a good day. He's using this and that to draw us into himself that we would enjoy and appreciate who he is more and more. That we would taste and see every step of the way that the Lord is good. But we don't just taste and see that the Lord is good when it's like this outside. We taste and see that the Lord is good in the midst of tears middle of Lamentations. His mercies are new every day. Lamentations is a hard book. And right in the middle, his mercies are new every day. So what does Jesus do with the junk in our lives? Let's go ahead and dig in in 12, verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Sons is a very important word here. Uh, he could have used a different word. This is the word sons. This is the word weos, which is kind of fun to say. But he could have used padia, child. He could have used technon, child. He doesn't. He uses sons. Does that mean that we're just talking about the boys then? No. No, no. You see, in first century, only boys are really part of the family, right? In the family of God, boys and girls, men and women, sons and daughters are in Christ Jesus, Different jobs to do, different, but in the family of God, equally uh, in Jesus, equally heirs in the kingdom, equal with God, just different. The Bible's going to beat that drum left and right. So he uses the word sons on purpose, not to exclude, but to include. It's actually quite, uh, quite polemic in first century. People would be very confused by it. We just kind of read right by it, but it's right there because we're his children, Now hear how God acts as our parent. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons to the whole church? Now, before I even read verse 6, I'll just go ahead and we're going to talk about some things that are not necessarily popular words in Seattle. uh, Words like discipline uh, here, right? We don't like those words. We like to listen to the clash and not talk about words like that. Or maybe I'm old, right? So I say the clash. I'm not old, but I feel old. The, who, who are the Clash? What about Green, no, Green Day's old too? I don't know. Here. But listen, okay? So let me, if, if you're not a Christian, or maybe these are words that, that you don't like to hear either, and, and, you know, frankly, I don't like to hear them at first, just hang with me, okay? We got we to gotta do a little unpacking. We got to build a couple compartments, and we got to see what the Bible says. So just hang with me, okay? Uh, give, give me that. Just hang with me for a minute. Uh, my son... Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. He's quoting Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 here, by the way, and we'll get there. Uh, nor be uh, weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. A big problem for us, and we need to be careful to separate these words out. Uh, when we say discipline, that's a different word than punish. Okay? Uh, it's a different punish. Um, we don't like that word. And it's not to say that God doesn't punish the wicked. But you need to understand if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, all the punishment is on Jesus. 
okay? Jesus Christ entered for every wrong thing I've ever done against God, every right thing I've done for the right reasons, every good thing I've done so people would say, oh, he's so nice. Everything I did for my own glory, everything I've done to displace him from his right place in the center of the universe, the God of love came and drank the cup of wrath so I don't have to. He came and dealt with the business end of that so I don't have to. And, and words like wrath make us uncomfortable. Welcome to Seattle, Right? But we need to, to get into the Bible and understand. And we need to understand there's times and places that these things, these ideas, and these concepts, though maybe dressed up differently, don't make us uncomfortable. I don't know if you realize this, but karma in the American, not necessarily the Eastern sense of it, is about punishment. We always think about it in terms of, I did something nice, and so I got a free cookie at the bakery, and uh, I did something nice, and somebody else opened the door for me. Even Stevens. I do nice things, and nice people, people do nice things for me. Thank you, the universe, for paying me back. What is the other side of the coin, of course? Wrath. You've done something bad, and something bad equally as bad happens to you as a result. Welcome to karma. We like Dharma and Greg and, you know, whatever. Old. Sorry. <laughs> Shows about things. We like Barnes and Noble spirituality aisles. We like it when we think of ourselves as a good guy, good people, and good things happen to me because I'm a good person. Guess what? We live in a world that if you walk around saying things like that, you will break people's hearts because there are good people who bad things happen to them every day. Jesus Christ, the only innocent man who ever lived, entered into history. Bad things happened to him so that you could live because you cannot earn your salvation. Jesus Christ had to come and earn it for you. You can't get up to God, so God had to come down and get to you. And the only innocent man who ever lived was tried as a criminal. So that we would stand before God as sons and daughters. So saying good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. Sorry, friends. I know a lot of good people who died young. I know old good people who've suffered. we got to be clear on this as we're talking about this. Right? There's a difference between punishment and discipline. Because the discipline comes in our lives not even Stephen. We, we don't like it. We dress it up and it gets weird. I was driving in the car. It was a cover, mind you. Driving in the car, listening to a Dixie Chick song. And as I was driving in the car, listening to a Dixie Chick song, na, 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 goodbye, Earl. It's a song about getting even. With, it's about wrath being poured out on this guy. And everyone turns up the country station and goes, na, 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 and sings along. But what we're talking about today is not that. We're actually talking about discipline, which is different. It's corrective. It's changing the, the course. Change my course and not fall off the stage in front of everybody. <clears throat> so correction, when the Lord disciplines us. So we've got to separate those two words because clearly Jesus has paid it all. It's not Jesus has paid it all and then he'll pay some more when you do something you're not supposed to do. Right? Be careful. That's different than the gospel. It's different than the gospel. Okay. So how do we deal with this then? Uh, I think it's helpful um, to go to uh, Proverbs 3 and look at this verse in context. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Okay, so let's just go ahead and go there. Um, if you've got a Bible, uh, we'll just do the whole thing kind of quickly because you've got to see it in context. You've got to think about this corrective move of God. My son... Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace will be added to you. 
Let not steadfast love and faithfulness. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever is the most quoted Bible by the Bible. These qualities of God, these are the qualities of God. This is the Father we're talking about who loves us. Uh, Let not the steadfast love and uh, and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on a tablet on your heart. So when you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man, trust in the Lord. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Trust in the Lord uh, with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Uh, when, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. And what does it say? Bless the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Because guess what? I don't have it all figured out and neither do you. I'm not perfectly sanctified and neither are you. But God is changing us and he's moving and he's using the things in our lives to move in our lives to help us see him clearer. And by the way, be careful here. Don't go around, um, uh, not prescribing, uh, analyzing everybody else's stuff, right? When someone else is in hardship, you don't go to them and say, well, you know what? I think this hardship God is really doing in your life. We weep with the weeping. You pray the Holy Spirit shows them. If you're close to them, you can have them maybe, because I have many, 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 many stories in my life when people are like, man, I got in this accident, and God used it to save my life. Um. I got this sickness, and God revealed all these things to me. Uh, You have people say things like, I would never want to live through said horrible event ever, ever again, or wish it on anybody, but God held, Jesus held my hand and moved in my life through that event. But it's not your job to walk around analyzing everybody else's stuff. You weep with the weeping. That's your job. Comfort them. Tell them the truth of the gospel. Don't walk around like the doctor who's trying to figure out God's sovereign hand. God sees how God sees. You don't necessarily see how God sees. God is gracious and merciful. And sometimes there'll be a time, and that soft moment where you can get there. But don't walk around being like the analyst on this stuff. But do not, be, do not despise the Lord's discipline or weary his reproof. God is moving in the junk of our lives. He's moving the good stuff in our lives too. He treats us as sons. Treats us as his kids. Your kid is running in the street. Do you stop him or do you say, well, you know, he's really got to figure this one out for himself. He's really got to learn. Who, who am I? Who am I to correct him here? Who am I to reprove my kid who's running in the street? Because frankly, friends, there's times when we're just running in the street. And God moves in all kinds of ways to help us, to change us. To show, hey, Son, don't do it. Uh, and in fact, I think this is the difference. When we see uh, Romans 1, it's, it's a passive move towards people who aren't his. Fine, you want it? Have it. You want that idol? Take it. You want that? Take it. You want that? It's yours. But for his children, he moves in our lives. And sometimes, we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. And he's moving. 
It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Right? Now, that's going to look different in most people's homes with most people's kids. But the reality is to like not do anything, <laughs> to just let your kid run wild, doesn't go well for anybody. You know, I had a buddy who used to use the phrase, uh, some people's, he worked in like a daycare thing, and he'd say, some people's kids. And you could tell the kids who had parents who were correcting and shaping the kids were like, well, we're just going to figure it out. But he treats us as sons. And so he moves in the hardship and he moves in the mess to change us, to move with us. And I think it's so careful here that we don't then equate this again with like karma. Like, oh, this bad thing happened to you. must be bad. I mean, that's, that's Job's friend's response, right? Read Job. There's a real uplifting book for a nice sunny day. Um, Job's friends keep being like, well, Job, you're not a righteous man. Well, Job, you did these horrible things. Well, Job, what it, you, you must be hiding something for all these bad things to happen to you, Job. It's a bad theology. You need to know, like honestly, you just need to know if somebody from this church, one of the pastors from this church, one of the people in your community group, if you're in the hospital and sick, our first response to you, and frankly, our response will never be to you, you know, if you only have more faith, Maybe you'd repent of sin more. Weep with weeping. Pray. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. I am going to, I was listening, if you're going to listen on the radio to preaching, you don't have to do it. You don't have to do anything. But if you're going to listen to the radio, listen to Alistair Begg, not just because he has a Scottish accent, because he's very good. And I get this illustration from him. Alistair Begg, as I was driving in the car, he was preaching this text. And I was like, how do you, how do you get at that? And he got it, so I'm going to steal it from him. But there it is. This is Alistair Begg's. There you go. Uh, Alistair Begg said, and I'll totally remix it because I don't have an accent. That would be dumb. But here we go. So uh, I can take a bunch of kids to a birthday party. I can have a birthday party in the park, and I got everybody's kids there, and we're all there having fun. I can give everybody an ice cream cone, and we're playing games. Everyone's blowing bubbles or shooting stuff at each other, whatever we're doing, right? Uh, and I can do that. And you'd look around and be like, oh, man, I wonder who this guy's kids are. Because I ain't going to tell your kids what to do. I'm going to tell you what your kid did, and if you need to talk to them, you can talk to them. But the kids I'm going to talk to and say, hey, don't put that ice cream cone on that other kid's head or whatever, that's my kid, right? I'm going to talk to him about it because he's my kid. How do I know he's my kid? I'm the one that's responsible for him. Everyone's looking at me, whose kid is that? Mine. I've got to deal with him, right? I, I don't deal with your kids. Your kids are your kids. You deal with your kids. I deal with my kids. That's how you know they're my kids. It's one of the ways that we know we're God's kids, that he actually corrects us. He actually speaks into our lives. The Holy Spirit convicts us. We do something and we realize, I shouldn't have done that. One more time, that little rudder, a little fire. Burns down a whole forest. James, good book. Did it again. He corrects us. He moves in us. But he loves us. He doesn't leave us as orphans. If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, you are illegitimate children and sons. Besides this, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. You 
dump the ice cream on somebody's head, you don't get to have an ice cream cone because you dumped it on their head and you don't get another one or whatever. I don't know. By the way, my children have done that, but if you're, you know, anyway. Shall we not, I was going to be careful because, you know, they're not here to defend themselves. And Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits who live? This is an important verse, parents, if you're a parent. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. Parents, sometimes you're going to try your best and you're not going to do it right. Sorry. Sometimes you're going to try and love and correct your kids to help them and for their benefit and realize afterwards, like, oh, that wasn't the way that should have gone down. We're not in the business as Christian parents to tell our children that we parent them perfectly. It's my opinion that my job as a Christian parent is to show my kids they need Jesus and that so do I. Which means I am quick to say, please forgive me. I I couldn't tell you how many people I know, Christians and otherwise, who just wished one time mom or dad when they didn't do it right because they're human, just looked them in the eyes and said, son, that was wrong. Please forgive me. Son, daughter, I need Jesus and so do you. Don't try and tell your kids you got it perfect all the time. Stay close to the word. Get help from friends. Whatever. Do the best you can. It's not a license to just do whatever. I'm just saying, hey, sometimes it's not going to go the way you want it to go. And when it doesn't go the way you want it to go, you need to be quick. Quick to look them right in the eye and say, please forgive me. That was wrong. I need Jesus. Pray for me. Heard a story once of a guy. Dad comes, takes him out of class. Dad goes to work, tells his boss, I'm sorry, I have to go. Goes to school, third grade kid, pulls him out of class, gets down on his knees, looks him in the eye and says, I had to leave work today because I sinned against you this morning and I'm going to ask for your forgiveness. Please forgive me. I need Jesus and so do you. And that kid said, and that was the day I became a Christian. Your job is not to be a perfect parent. Your job is to be a Jesus-dependent, gospel-centered parent who points your kids to the cross and the resurrection. You do that by being weak, not by being strong. Um, This is not my normal preaching Bible, forgive me. Uh, Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? You know, a great other thing you get to do as a parent, as anybody. So son, daughter, I have three boys, so I say son and then daughter. Because the reality is this. On a spectrum, you might have, you, someone in here has the best dad in the room, right? Somebody has the dad in here that was the most Jesus-pointing, gracious, loving dad ever, and then one of us has somebody who wasn't, right? And you put them on the spectrum. And best dad ever, next to worst dad ever, on the spectrum of the dad that we have and God the Father, both pale in comparison, right? My job's not for my kids to think that I'm the best dad ever. My job is for them to think the one who's holy, who is love, who is just, who is right, who is perfect is the best dad ever. 
and to welcome them into the family of God where we stand someday as brothers and sisters under that one glorious, beautiful, wonderful Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. He's gracious. I am so thankful for this verse, by the way, that I'm about to read. Thankful verse for all of us who are dealing with sanctification. Who Jesus is making more like himself by the Spirit and the circumstances in our life. Verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. By the way, when things are hard, when God's teaching you something, when God's moving, when you're seeing sin, you're like, I didn't know that was hiding down in there. Where did that sin come Oh, it's been there. He just didn't see it because God was working on other stuff that day. It doesn't, it's not pleasant. It's not like we smile and put a big fake smile on our face, right? Being a Christian, being holy, doesn't mean we walk around with a big fake smile on our face. It means we weep with the weeping and rejoice with those who are rejoicing. It means we pray to God for a peace that surpasses all understanding. It means that Paul in prison in Philippians can say, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. I know who Jesus is. Rejoice. I don't know if he was always smiling in that prison in Philippi, but I do believe he had joy because he knew who Jesus was. Paul's really honest with us, by the way, and I appreciate him for that. Anyways, here we go. For the moment, all this, yeah, I read that. Oh, yeah, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, uh, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. What does that mean? anxious. You don't know how things are going to go. You don't know how the class is going to end. You don't know where the next paycheck is coming from. Uh, you, you, you can't sleep. Your stomach's in knots. And Jesus moves by his sovereign hand and takes care of you one more time. Happens again. Where's the next pay? What, how are we going to get through this? How are we going to endure? How are we going to make it? He did it again. And, and I don't know how this keeps happening, but he keeps making it through. And I keep looking at me, he did it again. I'm still here. And, and if I wasn't here, I'd be home with him. He did it again. 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 And all of a sudden, decades maybe, maybe it takes decades. And you say, I don't know how you're going to do it, Jesus. Did it before. Going to do it again. Don't know what it's going to look like. Probably not going to look like what I think it's going to look like. Because what I would look like is if you just, you know, have a family member, send me a big old check or whatever you got. Just do that. Or, or maybe I'll just get the dream job. Or, or maybe my teacher will come and say, you know, I've been thinking about your bad test grades. And I've really decided you're the best student in the class. So we're going to put you up front here. And you're going to lecture for everyone on quantum physics. Great. No. Teacher calls you and gives you some extra credit. Shows you mercy. Miracles happen. I mean, you Money coming out of doorways. I've heard all kinds of different stories. I got a few of my own where God just provides out of nowhere. And it's not necessarily uh, a Bentley or something. People drive Bentleys. I don't know if they drive Bentleys anymore, but it's not a nice car. It's something else. But he provides and he takes care of us and he cares for us. And the hairs on your head are numbered. And he says, if I care for the birds, if God cares for these guys, how much more does he care for you? And we want to tell God how he should care for us. But he's a good dad who's making us not spoiled little children. And decades in, you say, yeah, he's got it again. One foot in front of the other. 
Yeah, King Jesus, he's got it. He's, he can bankroll anything. Had a buddy, church planner, one of my favorite stories of all time, literally stands before God, working at a video store, making no money, sits with his paycheck and his rent bill for his family, moved out here to plant a church and just says, Jesus, these are different. What do you got? Next month, he's the top salesman in the company that year. God taught him a lot about anxiety and trust, right? And all of a sudden, people are saying, best salesman in the company comes and says, so what's your secret? And he tells him that story I just told you. I sat there, empty paycheck, empty hand. Jesus, what are you going to do without help? And then I was the best salesman. Everyone bought TVs for me. He said, wow. This guy's not a Christian, of course. So like, you didn't take no for an answer? Is that, is that what happened? No, no, no. I sat there and I prayed and I said, Jesus, these are different. Please help me. Of course, the story ends with a Muslim and a Buddhist coworker as he walks in the door arguing and he hears them saying, uh, the Muslim gentleman says, his God did not do that. And the Buddhist guy says, I know, I, I think his God really did do that. Guy who's not hasn't had a problem with pluralism. Uh, no, no, I, I think yeah, I think Jesus could have done that. The Muslim side said no. Yeah, it would have been easier if somebody just bankrolled this whole church plan. You live paycheck to paycheck and trusted God, trusted Jesus. And hey, sometimes that paycheck doesn't even come in, right? But He's moving in our lives. He's teaching us to trust Him, to know Him, to love Him, to depend on Him, to be needy, to instead of trying to figure it out on our own, sit with open hands. Chronicles, Second uh, Chronicles twenty. Uh, the enemies are at the gates. Uh, they they get word there are armies coming. Now this is a good good scripture to read on a sunny day. It's awesome. Uh, so armies are coming, uh, they go to God and they literally say, God, we don't know what to do, but our, we're looking to you. This is your battle and not ours. And God takes care of it, right? More often we need to stop with trying to figure it out and more and more he's trying to teach us to sit with our hands open and say, Jesus, I don't even know what to do here. But you're God and I'm not and I trust you. So much of what he's doing in our life is just whittling it down and helping us to know who's God around here and who's not God around not God around here, not God around here. He's not just other than God. God is God. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. You hear that word, right? Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and straight he will make your paths. I think, whenever you're reading, particularly if you're, like, if you're in the ESV like me, uh, whenever you see an indent in the New Testament, that's an Old Testament quotation. I think they're all Old Testament. There may be a couple of New Testament quotations. It's a scripture quotation. It's your cue from the, uh, from the editors that this is a quotation from somewhere else. And so this is one of those. And so uh, one of the things you're supposed to do, you're supposed to do, helpful to do. When you get to one of those spots, you go in your Bible and you go to the thing and you read the whole chapter because he's thinking, whoever's writing is thinking about that whole chapter. And here it is. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Right? Lean not on your own understanding. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. God is working in all of our lives. He's helping us get over anxiety. He's helping us be humble. He's helping us trust him. He's helping us depend on him. He's dealing with our pride. He's dealing with our love of money, love of the world, objectification. He's dealing with something, with some of us today. Right? All of us, really, because we're sons and daughters. 
And we kind of have two choices when we get to that impasse. We can blame shift. Oh, it's that guy's fault. It's that gal's fault. It's God's fault. It's my circumstances. It's whatever. If I just keep going and keep trying harder. If I just try harder, I'll be more holy. That's not the gospel, by the way. Fake it till you make it, and then you'll be holy. No, that's not the gospel either. The gospel is not about you flexing. The gospel is about you depending. It's not about you being strong. It's about you being weak. God wants you to know how weak you are, and he wants to take care of you in your weakness. Because if you're spending your time busy, busying yourself thinking how strong you are, it's very difficult. It's not difficult because he's God, but it's very difficult for us to hear when we think we've got it all figured out. And so there's two choices here. Therefore, make straight your path. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. I think that's what he's after there. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight the path for your feet. The, I can think of 10,000, not 10,000, but there's so many Bible verses that come to mind. His, light, his word is a lamp to our feet. Narrow is, you know, just all this language of like walking in one direction towards Jesus so that what is lame may not be put out of joint. Now, again, this isn't about punishment. This is about correction. Okay, so don't hear that and be like, oh, if I don't do what God says, then he's going to throw a lightning bolt at me. No, no, this is correction. So if God's working to humble you and you're resisting his work to humble you, as a loving and good father, he's going to keep putting the weight on you. And hey, that might be, you keep getting a nicer job and a bigger desk, right? It's not necessarily just like that you're going to go to the car and like all your tires got slid or something. Oh. And to be frank, not everything like that is even God disciplining us. Not, not everything that happens, every good thing or bad, is discipline. everything he's doing is drawing you into himself. But there are times when he uses the weight of you, the weight of the world, to change us and make us more dependent on him. And when we push back and we kick against the goads and we resist him, it turns up the heat a little bit. Gets a little more heavy. It might get a little harder. Because he's changing us. But it's not punishment. Making us holy. He's directing and allowing the things in our life to change us. We push against it, and we realize, man, that was. It's not even like, it's not even like, um, and be careful too here. There's so much to say in so little time, but be careful too here that this isn't, um, um, this isn't like tit for tat. This isn't, oh, I don't have any money, so I must have a love of money. Oh, I have a pride problem, so somebody yelled at me while he was driving in the car and flipped me off. I need to get knocked down a notch, right? We don't always know what God's doing. The, the point is not to analyze and try and think, oh, man, if... Real honest, Christians, how often do we think that Jesus is going to jinx us? How often do we think we say, man, Jesus really blessed me with this? I'm going to celebrate what he's doing. We almost get this sense in ourselves, like, oh, man, if I talk about it, he's going to take it away. He loves you. If it's a gift he gave you, he gave it to you so you would rejoice in him. Every good gift comes from the Father of lights. He's not going to jinx you. Just an aside.
Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Be healed. Wait. You mean you're not just tallying up the score and settling up our bets, God? No, no, he wants to heal you. He wants to heal you. Okay, and then he begins to give us. Okay, so check this out, right? We're in verse 14. In chapter 12, how many imperatives has he given us up to this point? Few and far between. Because he knows when we see Jesus for who Jesus is, we want to get after Jesus. And so the point here is that now we're in 12 and 14 and we say, yeah, I want that Jesus. I want that Jesus who loves me, even in hardship, even in trial. The one who came down for me, not so that I could get up to him. The one who loved me first, I want him and that's what I want. That's all I want. I just want Jesus. Yeah, fine. Take my money. Take my success. Take my job. Take my reputation. Take it. Take it. Whatever gets out of my way so I can get to Jesus. And so all of a sudden now, it's not just, here's the list of things for you to do. It's, hey, here's some things that are going to muck up the path that gets you to Hamashua, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the one who's putting everything back the way it's supposed to be. Okay, are we clear on that before we go down this? Don't turn, this is not the spot where you flip into it. Now I'm going to make a list. And now I'm going to go home and try really hard at the list. Finally, you just give me something to do. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Just give me something to do. Love Jesus with all your heart, mind, and soul. Your neighbor is yourself. Get after him with everything you got. And yeah, this is part of it. And no, yeah, there are imperatives. And Jesus does say things like, if you love me, you'll obey me. But that's because we trust him. It could say, if you trust me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll trust me. Right? Because guess what? If Jesus tells you something, he knows better than you you do about that particular thing have you ever considered that i'm learning that every day jesus tells me things for a reason don't run in the street there are cars in the street andrew thank you jesus one more time thank you holy spirit for reminding me one more time there's life and there's death and i want life and i want jesus Strive for peace with everyone. Strive for peace with everyone. We can't have peace with everyone, but we strive for it. Some people won't like you because you're a Christian. Some people won't like you just because they don't like you. Some people won't like you because you live on their block. Some people won't like you because you moved in the house of their friend who moved away. Some people aren't going to like you for a lot of reasons. But we strive for peace for everyone. And where we can't have straight, direct peace, we treat them the way Jesus treated people. We turn the other cheek. We go the second mile. We love our enemies. And we pray for those who persecute us. We don't repay reviling for reviling. We don't return the blow with another blow. We trust Jesus, the vindicator of the righteous. Sorry, piece of Comma. There we go. And for the holiness with which no one will see the Lord. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Christianity is not not sinning. I say that every Sunday, because you need to hear it every Sunday. Christianity is not not sinning. Christianity is loving and following Jesus. Part of loving and following Jesus is turning from our sin and turning to Jesus. Dying to sin and living to righteousness. Getting after him. 
But all of a sudden, if we see this, this is holiness. So it's not how close can I come to the line of sin. It's how close can I stay to Jesus. So what can I do with my girlfriend? What can I do with my boyfriend? What am I going to do that's going to honor Jesus, honor them, love them, and keep me close to Jesus? Different questions, right? How much can I rip off my employees? How much can I short them on their paycheck? How are you going to live close to Jesus? How much do I have to give to, to uh, charitable organizations? How much do I have to love my neighbor, really, to stay out of sin? How do you stay close to Jesus, right? It's not about staying how, how close I can fly to the sun. It's how close I can stay in Christ. Those are different things. That's holiness. I'm going to stop talking with my hands, and I will find my place. Uh, strive for peace there when you have said that. Holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. We have a gift in Christ, and our aim is to run after him and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. How do we do that? Empowered by the Spirit. How do we do that? Weak and not strong. How do we do that? We do that because he's done it for us first. We do that because he has strived, because he went to the cross in our place, because he bared the burden on his shoulders, because by his stripes we are healed. We keep after him rather than the other stuff. Uh, then I use two fingers and I'm lost again. See it to the no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Um, see that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Uh, a root of bitterness. Now, as Christians, it's not that we can't be angry. Be angry and do not sin, Ephesians. Ephesians has a lot to say about bitterness. Bitterness is where we let the circumstances in our life, the things that we've done, the things other people have done to us, dig into our heart and dig into our life that that is at the core of where we are at and what we are doing with our lives. And great ways to tell if you're bitter, if you have repeated conversations with yourself, with somebody else, and you want to say what you'd say to them back in third grade, when they cut in line, the water fountain, that's bitterness. Yeah, they cut you off and be angry. That's not a problem. You can also say, hey, pardon me, I was in line here. Be angry and do not sin. No shouting, no yelling, no flipping out. Bad things happen. There's things that should make you angry in Seattle. There's injustice that happens here. There's injustice that's probably happened to you. You also need to know that God's more angry about injustice. Read Isaiah. God is a God who cares about justice and is not impressed with it. Injustice. Cares about justice, not impressed with injustice. Um, in Ephesians, it's translated uh, foothold sometimes, um, and sometimes, I think in the ESV, it's, uh, I can't remember. Uh, but in Ephesians, it says, don't give a place for the devil. That word place is the same word that Jesus uses, place. I go to build a place for you. Living in bitterness and anger, angry at somebody. It's like you're building a house, a room in your house, and saying to Satan, why don't you come on here and have a live? Why don't you come in here? You're making a place for him. Make no place for him. It's Ephesians 4. Right? Don't do that. Don't do that. Well, how do we do that? We forgive. That's Paul in Ephesians 4. Forgive others we've been forgiven. So how do I forgive someone? I mean, yeah. Oh, I'm out of time. I won't go there. Forgive them as Jesus has forgiven us. We consider all the things that are on Jesus' back on our behalf. And all of a sudden, the things they've done to us become minute in comparison. 
and by men, many, many become defiled because we can't see, um, that no one is sexual, immoral, or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know, now this is interesting, right? So um, Esau, he's a weird dude, and he did have uh, a couple of wives, and there's some weird stuff in there. But the thing that the author of Hebrews is attaching this idea of sexual immorality, which we'll get to in a second here, uh, what they attach to it is not Esau's two wives, but Esau's uh, lentil stew, if you read it in Genesis. Um, For you know that after when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. And Esau's clearly not actually repenting. He's just bummed out. He did something dumb for a bowl of lentils. Yes, everyone would be sad if you sold your birthright for a bowl of lentils because you were hungry from a hunting trip. Yes, he is bummed out. It's in Genesis. It's right there. I'm not making any of this up. If you don't know, it's it's there, I promise. Um, So why, why is this? Uh, he's connecting this idea of sexual morality, which is anything outside of one man, one woman, one lifetime, uh, but not just physical, it's spiritual, it's, it, it's, it's emotional, it, it's anything outside that realm of marital fidelity in there. And, and anything outside of that. Uh, and so all of a sudden, uh, we, we find, I think what he's after here is that the Esau... Esau's a, a sensual cat. He just wants some food. He just wants to, 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 to deal with his urges. He doesn't care. Uh, and, and I think in the realm of sexual morality, what we do is we either objectify other people, we disregard God. Those are things Esau did. He disregarded God's commandments. He disregarded that God had a plan, and this is the way things work best, and said, you know, I can figure this out on my own. And he made the object of his desire a bowl of lentils. Whole industries based on the dehumanization of people. Why? Comfort. Self-centeredness. The whole thing. And I think that's what he's after with Esau. I think he's after the whole kitten caboodle. The whole disregard of God. The whole disregard of other human beings. The whole disregard for self. Because what we love to do is we love to displace God from his right place in the center of the universe. And this is one of the ways, and in our sexually insane society, this is a predominant way that we treat other people like objects and not like human beings. We dehumanize them. We don't treat them like image bearers of God. And we tell God, we've got it figured out. Don't worry about it. You read Esau, he's a fool. So what do we do with what the Lord is doing in our life as he's moving us towards holiness. Um, So Jesus is doing a couple of things. He's changing my heart towards my circumstances. He's changing my heart towards him. That I would continue to know his faithfulness and his love and his grace and his mercy. I'd know how to be brought high and be brought low. So what's he doing in the junk of our lives? Right? That's the question. Right? I'm supposed to prove to you what God is doing and what Jesus is doing with the junk and the mess in our lives. I want to show you three um, scriptures that I think help suss out this thing, and then we'll go eat lunch. And play piano. I mean, we never had a piano at the Boys and Girls Club. Piano is very nice. I'm into that, but I digress. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 says this. Man, not a, not a sunny day verse, but an everyday verse. Chapter 4 is great. Uh, but 2 Corinthians 4 and 16 uh, says this. So we do not lose heart. 
Though our outer self is wasting away, I'll go up into 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to uh, what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who has raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that grace extends to more and more people. It may increase in thanksgiving to the glory of God. He is working out everything in your life, the good and the bad, for his glory, for your joy, and to bring the good news of the gospel to Seattle and to the nations. That they wouldn't see our lives when the things get hard, when the Lord reproves us, when our circumstances seem wild and out of our control, and we just have our hand on Jesus and say, I am not letting go. They took it all, but they cannot take him. That the world would see your love for Jesus and know that he is one to be loved. That you weren't shaken easily. That you weren't shaken easily because you can't be shaken from him. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self, I mean, listen to this. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now hear this word. Wherever you're at today, whatever the hardship, whatever the junk, those of you who are headed to be home with Jesus forever, that Paul would dare to say anything so bold to us. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I'm not going to try and figure out the junk in your life and be like, oh, that's how God's really glorifying himself through this hardship you're in. I'm going to weep with you. But I'll also read you the Bible. I'll also tell you the truth. I'm not the doctor, right? This is the, this is the deal. I don't need to show you how smart or, or like insightful I am. I'll weep with you and tell you about Jesus. What else is he doing? Oh, no. <sighs> Can't have nice things. Um... First Peter, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Whatever you're in right now, if you are in Christ you and him forever is kept for you and will not be knocked out of your hands. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Here's that scary word rejoice again. In this you rejoice. But now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So here's the trials. We're rejoicing, we have trials in verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There may be hard things in your life, and he cares more about your soul than your car. He cares more about your soul than your job. He cares more about your soul than your work. He cares more about your soul than anything else. It's good news, by the way. Last one. Romans 8. Here we are again. Verse 28. Now again, just to be clear. I'm not saying I've got this all figured out. God's sovereignty, God's glory, and these verses are not a math equation. They're a relational truth passed down from the Father of lights. Verse 28, Romans 8. And we know that for those who love God, all things work according, work together for their good. My sin, my mess up, my screw up, Works together for my good? What? For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what he's doing as he's moving in our lives and correcting us in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers who are in the family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? God's for us. Who can be against us? If you're a Christian, you're struggling right now. Don't try to figure it out on your own. Go to him. He's our refuge. My job is not to give you a bunch of to-do nonsense, self-help drivel. My job as a preacher of God's word is to say, there is Jesus, there is his cross, there is his resurrection, let's all go in there. And if you don't know him, let's all go in there. Jesus is real, he's the one, he'll save you from yourself He'll change you. He'll make you his own. He'll give you himself. The good news of the gospel is Jesus and him crucified and him alive who crushes the beef between us and God and gives us life. If you do not know him, today is the day. He will set you free. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you that you're a God who's not afraid to tell us the truth about how you operate in our lives. I thank you for words like discipline. I thank you for words like correction. I need to be corrected. I need to be changed. And yeah, sometimes it's painful, and sometimes we don't like it. What I like is being more like you. What I like is knowing you more. What I like is you moving in my life as the sovereign king of the universe. That's what I like. When I can see you for who you are. So help us today, Holy Spirit, move in our lives. Help us to see who you are. Please, God, pour your spirit on this church today that we would stand up and rejoice. 
that we would be a people that can rejoice in hospital beds, that can rejoice in hardship, can rejoice when the car gets taken away, can rejoice when we get sick, can rejoice because we know you are moving. Help us, Jesus, to see you. Jesus, we love you and pray these things in your name. Jesus Christ, amen.